Mary Daniel hadn't seen her husband for 114 days due to the coronavirus restrictions in the senior care facility where her husband was living. Her husband Steve was diagnosed with Alzheimer's seven years before and moved into this care facility in Jacksonville, Florida. She had been visiting her husband previously every night and she would get him ready for bed. But when the coronavirus pandemic broke out, obviously that wasn't possible because the residents of the care facility had to be protected as well as the staff. It closed on the 11th of March and Mary was so worried how this would affect her husband in these challenging times and his routine that he had been very used to. So she was trying to find all sorts of means to, 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 to keep connected with him. She was desperate for trying to connect with him and it wasn't easier. Especially as dementia patients need interaction with people that they might be vaguely familiar with. They need to be touched and very often the lack of it could provide to be very challenging and very difficult. One day out of the blue, somebody from the corporate office of the uh, place that her husband was in asked her if she would willing to be taking a dishwashing position. And because she was able to do that, it allowed Mary to see her husband regularly. And she could already tell that after three of the visits she'd made, his demeanor had changed. These are her, her words as she was going in again another night. It's made a difference to me. My husband now feels love, something that he probably missed out when we were separated. I am so grateful. I'm so lucky and fortunate. I want to be with him every day. These are the kind of difficult times we're going through right now where people are desperate to do something for their loved ones to try to keep encouraging them. It's, it's a tough season. We're battling fears. We're struggling with anxiety. We have no idea exactly what's around the corner, when we will emerge out of this, and how we will be when we've emerged out of this. You know, I'm fascinated with biographies, and particularly biographies of people that have lived a tough life. I guess there's something within me that can identify a lot easier with people who've lived through challenging times than with those who have had an easy life. And you feel like you can listen to the advice, the encouragement, the sort of distanced, sometimes totally remote mentoring that they can give to you about living in difficult times because they themselves have lived through them. Such is the journey that we're making with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is unfairly and unjustly imprisoned in Rome in house arrest because he preached Jesus. And in the midst of this very difficult situation, the Apostle Paul, who would have been a brilliant theologian and a great missionary and pastor and teacher, finds himself incredibly limited in what he can do. I feel I can learn from Paul in this difficult time. And that's why I'm glad we are traveling with him through the letter that he writes to the church in Philippi. A church, again, who very likely was facing challenges and difficulties. 
So I want to ask Paul, Paul, how did you manage to live under pressure? How did you manage to live with the frustrations of living in lockdown, in house arrest, even when you were trying to serve God? Paul, how did you do it? And last week, we looked at some of the things that would have been helpful for us to learn from Paul. And we're going to continue with a couple, uh, two or three other things that would have been really great. So we're back in chapter one and we look at verse 19 and we pick up the first thing that is quite helpful to us as we live under pressure right now. Paul is saying this, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. When you're asking him, Paul, how did you cope with pressure? He would probably answer and say, I realize I am not alone. I belong. I have a spiritual family who is for me. And these are his words. I know that through your prayers, God will turn things out for my deliverance. We have experienced in a painful way that isolation can be crippling. And the danger when you're isolated is that discouragement can come into your heart. The danger is that sometimes you can compare your life to somebody else's and we all have different circumstances. Some people are on their own. Some people are with a large family. And you're tempted to look over the fence, so to speak, and think that everything is greener on the other side. But it isn't. Isolation is crippling. Paul could have been very crippled in this situation, feeling lonely, thinking, I am here alone. But he has this deep awareness that once he became a follower of Jesus, he joined the greatest and most vast family on the face of the earth of people who have gathered together through Jesus in this beautiful family where they care for each other. So Paul finds himself in Rome at the very center of the Roman Empire and the believers in Philippi are sending not just prayers but practical help through their uh, person of connection that comes to help Paul and support Paul while he's in house arrest. Why? Because Paul belongs to a bigger family and Paul knows this, I am not alone. He doesn't allow the lies and the discouragement that comes from isolation really cripple his life because he realizes, I am not alone. I've got you, he writes to the Philippians. I know that through your prayers, I know that through the support that you're giving me. And he's also aware that God, through the spirit of Jesus Christ, is supporting him. But sometimes, you know, it's not enough to know the spiritual reality of God's providence and power in our lives. Sometimes we just need that tangible phone call, message, hug, encouragement that comes with it. And Paul knew that support and he realized he was belonging to a bigger family. And there's a, there's a beautiful thing that goes on here. It wasn't because Paul was superhuman that he was able to go through this situation in lockdown, it was because he felt that he wasn't alone, because he had support and encouragement. Listen, in this season more than ever, we need that, and I feel like breaking into the friends chorus, I'll be there for you. We need that I'll be there for you from every single one of us. And it, it goes two ways. 
sometimes we're just tempted to kind of look for where where is that for me can i encourage you to not get into that if you get into that it'd be a downward spiral what about getting into this i'm going to be there for somebody else and ironically the more we do that there is this incredible ripple effect through which everyone will begin to look after somebody who are you going to be who am i going to be there for in this season so they would feel like paul i am not alone because that enabled him to go through this difficult time under pressure. The second thing is this, verse 21 onwards. For me, Paul is saying, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. What shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, that I will remain, I will continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Now this is mind-blowing. Because Paul is saying something very radical here. He's saying, I live for Christ. Not only is he able to go to the pressure because he doesn't feel like he's alone, because he's got brothers and sisters around the world who are supporting him, but he's able to go through this because he has a clear focus. He says, I live for Christ. He doesn't live for himself. He doesn't live for other people. He has a clear cause, and that cause is Jesus. Now, once again, don't mistake who writes this. Paul has an incredible theological academic pedigree. He was a Pharisee, which is a high elite theological caste in Judaism. And he sat at the feet of Gamaliel. And he had all the credentials to make himself one of the greatest lecturers in the world at that time on Judaism. But when he meets Jesus, Jesus wrecks his career in the most beautiful way because everything changes. So instead of being a renowned rabbi and scholar, he gets on the road with a wear and tear and he begins to plant churches. He starts churches through the mission and then he helps those churches grow and then he teaches them by writing letters when things need clarifying on when they get in a difficult situation. So you have this amazing man whose life has been changed upside down. Why? Because he lives for Christ. He has a passion and a cause that he gives himself to, that transcends everything that this human life can offer with regards to money, fame, pleasure, you name it. Paul doesn't want to know anything about that, and he doesn't build his life on that, and that's not what he's seeking. His purpose in life for me to live is Christ which is amazing. So therefore, he gives himself, as he says, to teaching the believers. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain, I will continue with all of you in your progress and joy in the faith. Why? Because he wants to see boasting in Jesus Christ abounding. He wants to see those believers in Philippi grow spiritually, progress, joy, faith, strengthened, and become this 
magnetic group of people that will draw others to themselves, but he wouldn't be to themselves, he'd be to Jesus. He wants to see them boasting in Christ Jesus. Their life's shining like a beacon in the darkness. That's what Paul has given himself to. Not the cushy life of academia, but the wear and tear on the road that ends up with him being in prison because he preaches Jesus. Why? Because he has a reason to live for. You know, that's incredibly powerful. I'm fascinated with reading stories of survivalists or people who have been living in oppressive regimes who have managed to go a long distance. What makes them do that? They have a cause to live for. And for Paul, he's able to go through this difficult time because he has a passion in life. He has a reason to live. He lives for Christ. That's his focus. And that's incredibly powerful. I want to ask you the question, as I'm asking it for myself, in this season, have I still got that focus for me to live as Christ? Because a lot of us have started on this journey of following Jesus, but maybe we've become distracted. Maybe the virus, maybe the vaccines, maybe the, the difficulties financially, emotionally, mentally, the worries about our relatives, all justified. But have we lost our focus? Can we really say, as we begin the day, for me to live is Christ? Can we really say when we draw the line at the end of the day, for me to live is Christ? Can we, in the midst of our job and in our social interaction, probably virtually in these days, can I say, for me to live is Christ? I'm encouraging you to ask the Holy Spirit to fuel your passion afresh for Jesus and for living for Jesus. And maybe you haven't even started on this journey. Listen, there is no better time than right now. Can I encourage you? Will you surrender your life to the greatest purpose you could ever embrace? To the one that gets hold of your life and wrecks it in the most beautiful way. You don't want the, the, the boredom of, of success in terms of this world and of achievement, whether it's financial or in terms of popularity. You don't want that. That you can never take it away. What you want is to give your life to a cause that surpasses everything and has an effect in eternity. And that's what Paul discovered. And that's why he's able to be in house arrest and cope with the pressures and discouragements. Because, he says, for me to live is Christ. But there's another secret. It isn't just the fact that... He knows I'm not alone. It isn't just the fact that he says, for me, to live is Christ, but also incredibly powerful and actually probably quite shocking to us as 21st century people. He really says this, I don't fear death. Listen to his words, for me to live is Christ and to die is again. If I'm going to go on living in a body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. What shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. The desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Striking, shocking words. Paul, how can you say that? How can you say that you don't fear death? But that's the reality. I mean, these are not the words of somebody who is suicidal 
and can't cope with the pressure. You know, sometimes we get to those difficult times where we kind of think, well, this is, this is a stinking life, a horrible situation, a difficult environment, a bad set of circumstances. I just want out. No, no, no. That's what Paul is doing. You see, for us in our Western society, death is seen at best a taboo subject that we don't want even to think or talk about, or at worst, the greatest enemy that we have. And right now, we live under the shadow of death with tragic numbers, horrendous numbers of people who have died. What's different about Paul? You know what Paul is looking forward to is not the process of death, but a destination. And he makes it clear, for Paul, death isn't just death. For Paul, death isn't just stepping into the unknown, whatever will be, will be. For Paul, death doesn't mean that he gets into a room where his good deeds and his bad deeds will be weighed up and in case he just weighs the right way, it will all be okay. No. For Paul, death means being united with Christ. And that's what makes him say, I want to be with Jesus. I'm not afraid of dying. For Paul, this is a long-awaited reunion with a Jesus that he met on the Damascus Road. I mean, listen to his language. He says, I am torn between the two, between staying here and ministering and having a fruitful life or being, departing and being with Christ. And he says, which is better by far. That's his understanding. The life that he lives here on earth is a transient one, and it's, if you want, budget. And the life with Jesus is premium, and it's eternal. I remember Rabbi Shofetz Chaim once told the story of a rabbi in Radin in Poland who was visited by a, 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 a pilgrim that was wanting to get some wisdom from the rabbi. And as he came up to him, he, he was baffled because in the house there was no furniture. And he said, Rabbi, where is your furniture? And the rabbi said, well, where is yours? And the man said, well, I'm, it's at home. I'm just passing through. And the rabbi said, that's what I am too. I'm just a traveler passing through. There is a deeper understanding in Paul's heart that actually this life, which he dedicated himself to fully, we saw he's passionate about Jesus and he's passionate about other people knowing Jesus, is just a passing through. The destination is being reunited with Jesus in heaven. And that's what drives him. John Wesley used to have this phrase that was very distinctive. He says, our people, i.e. the Methodists, but what he wanted to say is those who put their faith and trust in Jesus. Our people, he used to say, they die well. Our people die well. And as a minister, I have noticed this so many times, the difference between Christians and non-Christians in the way they face death. And I've seen so many situations that have convinced me that following Jesus makes a huge difference with regards to how you see and face death. Listen, this is a time to talk about death in the midst of this pandemic. 
and it doesn't matter how old or young we are. This is a time to think about death. This is a time to be sober-minded about it. And I want to say I love the fact that in the midst of the pressure, Paul didn't crumble. Why? Because he didn't fear death. There was a fearlessness in him about it. I wonder how you are with regards to death. I don't want to scare you and I don't want to talk about stuff just to try to intimidate you. But it's here. It's in this passage. It's what we're looking at. It's what we see in Paul's life. We see this fearlessness with regards to death. And I want to ask us the question this morning again. Where are you with this? Are you afraid of dying? Or are you absolutely sure because you have a relationship with Jesus that you're looking forward to heaven? which is the upgrade compared to the budget life that we live right now. Listen, we know that vaccines and lockdowns have some effect, but they cannot stop death. So we've got to find something else. And that something else is a surrendered life to Jesus, who both in this life that we may live and continue to live however long he allows us to here on earth will be the one that carries us but even more importantly we will spend eternity with him in heaven what an incredible promise in the face of death do you have that assurance because if you don't this is the best moment this is the best day this is the best opportunity for you to surrender your life and to say jesus i want you to come into my life I want you to clean me up from my sin. I want you to make me that new person. And I want you to bring that sense of assurance that comes from knowing you. I want, like Paul, to say, I am not alone because I'm a Christian and I belong to the great family of God, to the church. That's the opportunity that comes before all of us. Also, I want to have something worth living for. I'm sick and tired of nine to five and just making some money and trying to fill my life with entertainment. None of it brings satisfaction. What can I live for? I can live for Jesus and to make him known. I want to have an assurance and a fearlessness in facing death. How do you do that? You surrender your life to Jesus. And I'm encouraging you to do this. These are things that will enable you to go through the tough times right now and every single day of your life having a sense of being able to say with paul i have a family i belong i have a cause that i live for i live for jesus and i have no fear of death because i know that death means if i'm in christ i am being reunited with him and that's a wonderful wonderful opportunity Remember these secrets from Paul. I think from a distance like a mentor, he's teaching the Philippians about what it means to live under pressure and how to go forward. But also he's teaching us right here in Canforth and wherever you are when you're watching it, whether you're across the ocean or in another part of the world, in the midst of the challenges, we can have a certainty in Jesus as we belong to his family as we live for him and as we are not afraid of death because it means that in Christ we have a future. Let me finish with a poem written by C.T. Studd. 
C.T. Studd was a very famous missionary and if you are looking for a biography to read in this time, read Norman Grubb's biography of C.T. Studd. It's a beautiful, beautiful biography. But here is a poem and I'll finish with this. It's called Only One Life. Two little lines I heard one day Travelling along life's busy day Bringing conviction to my heart And from my mind would not depart One, only one life T'will soon be past Only what's done for Christ will last Only one life, yes, only one Soon will its fleeting hours be done Then in that day My Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat, only one life twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to live and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes and fears, each with its clays I will fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, to help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep, in joy or sorrow, your word to keep, Faithful and true, whatever the strife, pleasing you in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervour burn, and from the world now let me turn. Living for you and you alone, bring you pleasure on your throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life. Yes, only one. Now let me say, your will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I'll know, I'll say, it was worth it all. Only one life, it will soon be passed. Only What's done for Christ will last. Amen.